Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and today is really going to be a very interesting show. Actually, I say that a lot, but um, this one in particular is going to be really quite good. Michael Nasarian, he's written a book called I'm Tired, How to Survive and Succeed in Corporate America. I won't go into too much detail because I'm going to be giving a more thorough introduction in just a few moments, and he'll be coming up. But um, he's worked in corporate America for many years, and now he's an angel investor. He has an incredible background, and he's from this area. Also today, Rick Allen. He wrote a book about the Seattle Pilots, the one-year wonders. They were in Seattle in 1969, and I'm sure many people, even in this area, have never heard of them. But they played in the American League, and then they moved to Milwaukee and became the Milwaukee Brewers. So stay tuned for some very interesting conversations on Voices of Experience. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. My guest is Michael Nasarian. He wrote a book called I'm Tired, How to Survive and Succeed in Corporate America. Now, Michael Nasarian grew up in Iran but started his career at Texas Instruments in 1983, and then he later moved on to Microsoft, holding leadership positions for nearly two decades. He played a major role in the development of the HoloLens. In 2016, he established the ARVR Academy, where young people and entrepreneurs learn about the world of augmented and virtual reality technology, which we'll talk about. Also included in the curriculum of this academy is cybersecurity, fiber optics, big data, and more. As Bill Maher would say, my old job. Michael lives in Bellevue, where he is very active in the community. I want to start out with your journey to the United States from Iran, how your family got here, how you got here. What is good about America that you have experienced, and what are the challenges that you had? Actually, this is a great question because a lot of our immigrants are going through the same journey that I went through, and uh, they come here in pursuit of happiness, in pursuit of education. And that's what we did. Me and my brother did a few years in uh, UK for our middle school. And then we went back to Tehran to finish our high school. All of a sudden, my dad decided to send me and my brother to United States. And it was a shocker for me. I didn't like it because I was fine, happy in Iran. But this is 1974. Back then, nobody in my age would think about revolution or bad things coming, but uh, everybody knew in Iran that revolution is happening. They didn't know when. We ended up in Texas. We had an American family that took the guardianship of me and my brother. We started our education there. We transferred to University of Texas in Austin, found a job at Texas Instruments, and uh, went from uh, one division to another. I made so many mistakes. I pointed it out in the book, and actually... Uh, I, I learned so much from my mistakes, and I always say that if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. I uh, <clears throat> moved to Seattle. Microsoft gave me a job offer that I couldn't refuse, 
And this is software now. I didn't know anything about software. I became the leader in international product development. I moved into the Windows division, and uh, I was involved in the Surface product uh, designing the HoloLens. And when I left uh, Microsoft, I started my own uh, startup. The message that you have is whatever you're thrown, grab it and make the best of it. And sometimes I think we get into a trap about, as you mentioned the word passion, we ask the question like, follow your passion and the money will follow. Not really, not necessarily. And and when I wrote my book and what I really liked about your book, and I want to get into that, is the practicality of that. And that's one of the myths that I have in my book about follow your passion, the money will follow again. And to me, I think that is very bad advice is I think what you went through there demonstrates how you must be flexible. And we use the word pivot and do what opportunities come your way. Yes, I, I want our youngsters, I want our entrepreneur to take the leadership. Don't bow down the atrocities that the life throw at you. Life throws all of these obstacles at you and you have to see who you are. Don't break down, just open your eyes. And the same way that I was taught uh, in martial art, uh, my instructor was so adamant that when somebody throw a punch at you, you inadvertently, uh, you close your eyes. And he said, no, open your eyes, see where they're hitting you. And then you'll hit them back the same place. Life throws these obstacles at you and we don't evaluate it. My goal in this book was to bring awareness to tell you what's beyond these walls of corporate America and how to make sure to be successful in that. And don't get upset. Uh, in the morning, your manager says something, your teammates do something to you, your, uh, your, your project is uh, canceled, uh, your division uh, changed a different route. Good. That's all positive. There's nothing negative about it. The revolution in Iran happened in 1979. And I didn't know. I didn't cause it. Nobody told me. Nobody sent me an email that the revolution is happening. We were, I had a scholarship from Iran, and uh, I had money coming. So I paid for my tuition. I paid for my rent, and there was n- nothing left in the bank. <laughs> I had a quarter in my pocket. And the story it goes on and on, and how did I build my life and didn't bow down because I knew... I can do it. And you look at it, to me, as a journey of, as you say, surviving it. Your martial yeah. arts training helped you in that and how you focused on certain things. You can be very strong coming out of it, or corporate America will eat you up if you don't. Paul, that, that is the message. If you lose your balance, and corporate America would love for you to give your life for the corporate. They love that type of employee. At the end of the rope, when you end up on on that stretcher out of your office, and and that was was the goal that I actually highlighted in the first chapter. I said, instead of working to live, we live to work. And the balance is, is the key factor that I'm trying to bring here, that you 
can do your job and can be successful in corporate America, at the same time, you can attend that birthday party, that event for your kids and your family. It's you that is driving this. The corporate environment is rough. You decide how much you want to give and how much you want to get out of this. When you were working in the United States, we've all known that Europeans and the countries there are not as hardworking, I guess, or they have better balance than we do. Let's put it that way. And you know, they, they have they six do. weeks off. You came from Microsoft, that environment, and you went to Microsoft to an office in France. Tell the story when you just arrived in France and what happened. I was in uh, France in our headquarter. Monday I arrived and uh, I was working to late hour Tuesday and Wednesday passed by and then on Thursday morning I'm there and 10 o'clock I'm escorted out and these guys are speaking French and I'm just like going like what is going on so I called my managers and then I spent the weekend all scared on Monday morning my manager called me said oh were you there on Monday till 10 p.m. I said yeah and Tuesday yeah and Wednesday, I said, no, 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 Wednesday was 9, 9 p.m. <laughs> and he said, okay, that was it. You exceeded 35 hours, and it is going to uh, put them in jeopardy because of labor laws, and they had to move you. They cannot afford the lawsuit. <laughs> I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, one area of your book that you said, and this is with the expertise that you bring, and it's like, think like an immigrant. And I would like you to talk about your, I guess, confrontation with the KKK in Texas. Don't expect anything. Bring your expectations down. Uh, then you live very, very, very good. Then you can, you can clearly uh, make better judgment, and your, your judgment are not being tainted. He told me, hey, you want to run with me in the morning? I said, yeah. And he gave me an address. Back then, address were on a piece of paper. So I drove uh, and parked. And I was just looking for the address, and I ran into a group of KKK demonstrating. And that's the, one of the areas, Midland Odessa, especially Odessa, is the, uh, is a large population of uh, white supremacists. And I knew about it, but I never encountered anything with them. So I ran, and I got close to them, and I'm going, to, oh, no. So I turned around, and they uh, noticed me, so they surrounded me and go, like, uh, where are you going, boy? I'm going, like, uh, good morning. <laughs> I think I'm lost. <laughs> I'm going to this address. And he said, well, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and uh, I didn't lose my cool. I was a little uh, scared. But uh, I was very uh, logical with them. Uh, I, I started listening and tried not to provoke anything. At the time, I was a martial artist. I had a black belt. But, uh, you know, uh, that type of uh, training is not physical. It also gives you mental training. So I started uh, listening and talking and uh, changing the subject like, so where is this address? And they kept changing it like, what are you doing here? 
And uh, then one of them shouted, like, people like you, take our jobs away. And I didn't say a word. And I said, oh, by the way, uh, are you looking for a job? We are hiring. So I kept changing the subject, and I would not provoke the audience. <laughs> this happened at 8 a.m. At 10.30, I'm on the porch of this guy called Bert, drinking beer, talking about how he can be a better person, how, how he can live get his kids employed instead of complaining. <laughs> and it was so uh, amazing that the entire Texas Instrument in that division in Midland, Odessa, knew that I have friends with KKK. Well, I am sure you're still exchanging holiday cards with the KKK, just trying to be funny. Not funny, talking about COVID. And that is, um, you do have in your book some positive aspects of COVID and what it's brought to our society. Could you elaborate on that? Ignore the, your environment. Don't ignore the atrocities. And we were just saying that take advantage of it. COVID brought a lot to humanity. I'm not uh, proud that 3 million people died to give us those lessons. And COVID taught us a lot, taught us how to work remotely, taught the corporate America how they can survive. But these lessons are not going to go away. These lessons are going to be practiced in corporate America a lot more now than uh, us humans and workers are going to experience. Corporate America learned that the employees don't need to travel for them to make money. They, can, they don't need to send the workers, employees, all the way to around the world uh, for them to be profitable. Corporate America learned that they can have physical layer and remote layer. And at the same time, they learned valuable lesson on how to manage uh, and how to have a divisional structure. Corporate America is learning how to streamline their operation. Despite the fact that it was a deadly virus, we should take advantage of uh, what it taught us. I want to talk about yeah. two of your startups, and one is augmented and virtual reality. In some ways, that looks to me like an incredible future, but in some ways, it terrifies me because mm-hmm. we've already seen evidence of that, like Nancy Pelosi slowing down a video, making her look like she's drunk. Or when you look at some, and that that's probably not augmented reality per se, but it is changing reality. And technology, yes. yeah, technology changing reality. And then, you know, the other ones that you can now go uh, and look at a speech that someone made 40 years ago, and now the words are in their mouth entirely changed. And I'm wondering about those ramifications. Should I be afraid of this at all? Or is this going to be something that will go through some bumps, but it'll even out and will be okay in the long run? The technology was designed to help productivity, to help us with our future involvement. So the technology was not there to hurt humanity. The technology of augmented reality and virtual reality, now that we call it mixed reality, was there for many, many years. And the only thing that uh, the corporations are doing are bringing the devices to make it more readily available to the industry and to, the, to consumers. And what we did in uh, uh, Microsoft and the HoloLens was something that was above and beyond what we were expecting. It just brings the uh, another 
reality on top of your existing reality. The first company that we formed was uh, called VIAR360.com, which uh, is uh, three young uh, entrepreneurs in Slovenia uh, uh, were here in the U.S. in one of our startup forums, and I met them, and uh, I was the initial investor in that company, and their idea was to put 360 videos and images and uh, uh, make a story out of it. So why, why is it good? Because uh, when you have a uh, 2D, X, X, Y coordinate uh, picture or a, or a movie, uh, you can actually put it together, edit it, and everything is simple. But when you have a 360 video or image, uh, editing it is not uh, just straightforward. And, uh, you know, the, uh, Steven Spielberg or Stephen King said that all 80 years of uh, movie making uh, we should, and uh, studies that we did, we should throw it away now that 360 is here. Because you can control uh, X, Y coordinate of your scene, but you cannot co uh, 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 control the 360 view of it. So with this, we formed a company and we formed a, a, a very, very... Uh, elaborate platform that everybody could use, and we uh, uh, li we licensed it to many schools everywhere from Syracuse all the way to USC. About 20 some schools are using this platform, and then it evolved into another, another, and and then we formed another company called uh, Revo.io, R-E-W-O.io, that basically takes the augmented reality. Uh, and virtual reality training. So suppose uh, Comcast employees go through a physical training and, uh, and they learn something and they have to go practice it on the field. But now with this, you can actually put a headset on, go through the training, and uh, you can just connect with, with the actual expert in that field, in that, on that equipment, and learn the detail of that, of, of that equipment without going open your books. So a picture uh, uh, is t uh, worth thousand words, a video worth millions worth, right? And uh, that's what we try to do. And there's a lot of companies in this area uh, that are uh, investing on uh, learning. Amazon is also investing in this. And uh, we're trying to be the best. We're trying to make it the most uh, uh, readily available and simple and uh, scalable platform. So uh, these companies are trying to help. We're trying to uh, augment humans' productivity. We're trying to add value. And at no point, uh, the goal is to hurt humanity. <laughs> oh, of course not. And usually it isn't in these things. But the guardrails, we use that term a lot now to see how this oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. goes forward. And I guess you just have to have faith in human beings that if they don't see through it initially, they will eventually. And they'll become more sophisticated. Very Ten true. years ago, we, we would not buy anything online. Very true. Now we buy everything online. Okay. We, we don't even because we have confidence. Right. Because we, we know that everybody's using it and the security and uh, uh, safety around it is enhanced. So, yeah, you're right. It's just 
bring in confidence. Once we bring enough confidence to any technology, it will be adopted. My thanks to Michael Nasarian, author of I'm Tired, How to Survive and Succeed in Corporate America. The book is on Amazon, or you can order it from Michael's website. Just input Michael Nasarian, and that's capital N-A-S-S-I-R-I-A-N. One more time, capital N-A-S-S-I-R-I-A-N. I also want to thank Michael Flynn, former publisher of the Puget Sound Business Journal, for making the introduction to Michael. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Rick Allen, the author of a book called Inside Pitch, has joined us, and uh, he's going to be talking about the one-year wonders, the Seattle Pilots. They played baseball here in Seattle, again, just for one season, as a major league team in the American League. And uh, after that year, they moved on to Milwaukee and have been there ever since, known as the Milwaukee Brewers. Very quirky year. And this book is not focused so much on the team. It's mainly focused on the front office and all the mistakes and all the type of things that they got involved in. So let's get right to the interview with uh, Rick Allen. What I find interesting is that you were never really a Seattle Pilots fan, but this story really took hold with you, and it actually surfaced when you were on a trip in Africa. Can you talk about that a bit? Well, first of all, I was a big ball four fan, so I knew about the pilots. But in 1969, I was in ROTC summer camp, so I couldn't attend a single game, even if I wanted to. So I never attended the pilots game. I didn't have the faintest clue I'd ever be writing a book about the pilots. But my wife and I are in Africa. We're on a tour of Africa with a small tour group. We didn't know anybody in the group. And one night, and we're sitting at a dinner table with a different group of eight or how many of them that were. And this guy starts talking about his funny time in baseball. And he's telling these kind of hilarious stories about administration and baseball. And, you know, I'm really intrigued. And I said, well, where, who who'd you work for? And he said, well, the 1969 Seattle Pilots. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, because the, the Boughton book, Ball Four, is all about kind of the characters who are in spikes and, and gloves on the field. And this guy's telling the same kind of funny stories about guys in suits and ties in the front office. And I'm thinking, well, that would be an interesting thing to know more about because it's it gives a better kind of overall picture of the whole franchise so i said well when we return to the states he lived in arizona and we go down to arizona for spring training when we return to the states and i go down for spring training can we get together i'd like to pursue this a little bit further so we did that next spring and as we're talking in arizona he says yeah and and, uh, there's another guy who worked for me he's here in arizona too his name's jim kittlesby and I thought, well, that's funny. I know a guy named Jim Kittlesby who I worked with at PLU. He says, yeah, that's him. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, he, he was with the pilots. And, and actually, he had worked for the San Francisco Giants before he joined the pilots. Sounds like this so was just meant to be. Yeah, I mean, literally. It just fell into my lap. They started talking. And, of course, the memories started flowing. And then the next spring, I said, well, let's continue this because uh, it's going to take a while to kind of put together next spring. So the next spring I come down, the first thing I find out is Jim and Bob and the guy who was Lou Pinella's roommate are on a panel at the retirement community that I live in, and they're given this presentation. And so I talked to Lou Pinella's roommate, and that's how the Lou Pinella story got into the book. And it's just one thing after another. So this year I go down, I'm finishing the book, 
And we pull into our house, coming driving down from Tacoma to Arizona, and our new next-door neighbors are standing out in the yard. We knew where we were going to have next-door neighbors. And I get out of the car with a Rainier's hat on, and my neighbor says, oh, uh, Tacoma Rainier's hat. He says, yeah, I used to work for the uh, Seattle Angels. 1955, I was the bat boy. I couldn't believe it. So it was just one thing after another. And then I uh, get this. So I call, I'm trying to figure out how to get the book into Costco. And I know that, you know, I, I'm Michael Thompson, who owns the Rainiers. He had a guy from Costco on the board. They hooked me up with a book buyer. The book buyer kind of calls me, and I can tell she's kind of thinking, well, I'm being forced into this. She says, okay, tell me what your book's about. And I said, oh, it's about the 69 pilots and Judy Soriano, except from the behind the curtains of the executive office. And she says, oh, really? Kathy Soriano is my best friend. Kathy Soriano is the little girl in the book who was left outside the ballpark on opening day and got locked out of the ballpark, and she didn't have a ticket. And I have that story in the book. Amazing. I mean, talk about uh, coincidences or karma or whatever. Yeah, you were destined to write this very entertaining and solid book. By the way, I uh, was at opening day at the Seattle Pilots game in, I think it was April 4th, 1969. They played the Chicago White Sox. Bell yep. was pitching yep. for the uh, Pilots, and um, they won 7 to nothing. And I remember leaving yep. going, it was such a beautiful day in Seattle in April. It was like 70 degrees, which is unusual. And I left the stadium with my dad saying, wow, the future is so bright for this team. Well, you know, a lot of people who really wanted baseball. I mean, Seattle's a great baseball town. For 15 years before they got a major league team, they were at the top of, of, of attendance levels in all of minor league baseball for 15 years. If they weren't at the top, they were near the top. And so everybody thought it would work. But honestly, Six Stadium was in such poor shape, and there were so many other things behind the scenes that went wrong right from the start. And that, the book is about that. How this great city with a great baseball history, went bankrupt in a single season, and they not only lost Major League Baseball, they lost their minor league team. So the next seven years, they had no baseball at all. I mean, it's kind of like a jaw-dropper. But once you see how they thought when they were making the deal that they were going to have a three- or four-year transition, but because of Finley's move to Oakland and the need to put a team in Kansas City, they needed to have Major League Baseball, they needed to have another team to balance the schedule, and that forced Seattle into the league in one year instead of two or three years. That's Rick Allen. And again, the book is called Inside Pitch. It's available on Amazon. I highly recommend it. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to Michael Nasarian and Rick Allen for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. Now, Voices can be heard on KKNW at 4 o'clock p.m. on Tuesdays, 8 a.m. on Wednesdays, and now on Kixie on Sundays at 9 o'clock a.m. Also, Lisa Downs, Reigniting You. You can hear that on Kixie on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. So if you're listening to this show on Kixie, it's coming up right after this. Lisa takes a positive and forward look at approaching and making those mid to late career moves. Now, what drives this show? It's my belief that experience is our best coach. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Thanks for listening. Quote of the week. Truth 
is the most viable asset we have. Let's accommodate it. Mark Twain.